The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. If you'd like to make your NFL games a little more interesting, you've come to the right place. It's the Even Money Podcast with Ross Tucker and Steve Fezzik. Yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas. It is the Even Money Podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. And if you can tell that I'm happy and excited, it's because both of the bets for Steve Fezzik and I came through in the Super Bowl. We finished well into the black yet again for the 2020 season. We'll get into that a little bit later, but it feels good to make money for you guys. Going to have an awesome, awesome offseason here. There really is no offseason. I mean, today we will recap our Super Bowl bets and the Super Bowl props to some extent. On the Fantasy Feast podcast, we'll dive more into some of the player props and start to talk a little bit about best ball moving forward on the Fantasy Feast. I am Ross Tucker, the former NFL offensive lineman, five teams, seven years. We'll also do a little bit of a season recap today, not only from our bets and how we did for the year, but are there other things we can take away, lessons learned, moving into 2021? I'm at Ross Tucker NFL, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The show itself is part of the at Ross Tucker pod podcast network. So check it out on Twitter and Instagram at Ross Tucker pod. You can always, and I mean always watch us now on YouTube, youtube.com slash Ross Tucker NFL. We even have a new YouTube exclusive show. I should mention, take advantage of any of our sponsors, especially the DraftKings Sportsbook app. And you can ask Steve any question you want. Just email me, Ross at RossTucker.com. Who's Steve? Most of you already know. Steve Fezzik, the only two-time winner of the Super Bowl of professional football gambling. It is known as the Super Contest at the Westgate out in Las Vegas, anybody who's anybody participates and knows about the Super Contest, and Steve has won it twice. He is the man with the plan that you should follow at Fezzik Sports on Twitter and only at Fezzik Sports, except no imposters. Steve, how are you? I am excellent. Always good to finish the year on a positive note, Ross, and 
the other last week, I beat my son in a race for the first time in a year because we raced on the snow and he's never run in the snow. Oh, very nice. Wait a minute. Did it snow in Vegas? It did in the foothills. We got an inch and it's amazing. And it kind of shows when the unfamiliarity and this you know, really applies to all sports when a team has to play in snow for the first time. Um, my son was like so like unfamiliar with it. He doesn't even know how to make a snowball. He's like mechanical trying to figure out how to do it. That is funny. And you grew up in Dayton. So you're very familiar with how to run on the snow and how to make a snowball. Yeah, and lived in Chicago for six years, so absolutely. So before we even get into some of the bets, and I'll just say, if you remember, this is kind of crazy, Steve. I put one unit on the under, that hit. We both leaned to the Bucks. Gosh darn it, we should have put some units on the Bucks. You had the first half under 27 and a half. Steve, you got it by half a point, bro. Half a point, Steve. Never, point never sweated it. Never was a sweat. Hey, it should have landed 20, except for Andy Reid apparently took all the analytics information and just tossed it into the garbage can. One of the worst timeouts I've ever seen in the Super Bowl. All right, well, I want to get into that in a, in a little bit. Save that for a second. But here's what's crazy. You and I both finished the year, Steve, up seven units. We tied. We pushed for the season. We were both up seven units. You got two units. I got one. I mean, you're the math guy. What are the odds of that? And I mean, I, I think you put out like, I mean, you made 182. No. Yeah, you made like 189, or 182 bets or you put out 182 units. I put out 225 and we both are up exactly seven. And it shows the importance of getting the hook. If you bet Ross Tucker plus a half unit, you head to the window shopping the good number. It's a great point. It's a great point. All right, I will say this, though. Before we dive into some of the specific bets and Andy Reid and some of the props, you got I, I got we got to talk about this, Steve. Out of every possible scenario that I could conjure for the Super Bowl, I would argue the outcome that happened was the only one that I did not think was an actual possibility, which is the Bucks blowing out the Chiefs and the Chiefs failing to score a single touchdown. I mean, are there lessons we can take from that, or is it just the anomaly aberration of all time? Well, I think we spoke about how concerned we were, you being a former O-line guy, about all this reconfiguration of the O-line for Kansas City, about the fact not only was Fisher out, but all of a sudden you had three guys in brand new positions without any game time experience. And I think that really was the number one factor. I, I'm in the minority. I thought Mahomes played great. I just thought he was under siege for the entire game. No one could succeed against that pass rush in that game. You know, it's interesting because the the Chiefs' O-line was the biggest factor in the game, Steve, but not just because the Bucs were able to beat them a lot up front. Because 
they had those new parts up there and the different guys up there. Todd Bowles had confidence and knew his front four would be able to get pressure on Mahomes. So he knew that he didn't have to blitz his least amount of blitzing all year by far. He knew that he could play two deep safeties to not allow anything over the top. Their most two deep safeties all year. So what I I find interesting, Steve, is I think almost as much as what physically took place between the Bucs D-line and the Chiefs offensive line, I think the impact of knowing that mismatch, the impact that that had on how Todd Bowles game planned and called the game, I think might have been even more significant than the actual physical you know, encounters themselves. I think it's a great point that the Bucks D did not get their second sack until midway through the fourth quarter, but that relentless pressure totally disrupted with rushing only four Mahomes and the timing with his receivers. And you could see it so often. How many times did we see Mahomes throwing off balance, arm angles different than normal to a receiver that wasn't wide open, that wasn't open, but the ball got there. Tyreek Hill bounces off his face mask. Williams drops it in the end zone because defenders right on top of them because they still had seven back defending. These were not easy catches, and but they were much more difficult catches the Chiefs had to make all year long. It's a really, really good point. And, and here's the other thing, too. I don't know if you've seen these numbers, but Andy Reid did not adjust. 48 of the 52 dropbacks were five-man protection. So you have the 5-0 lineman, Steve, right? If you keep the running back in the block, you have a six-man protection. If you keep the tight end in the block, you have a six-man protection. If you keep the tight end and the running back in the block, you have a seven-man protection. That's kind of like max protection. That's about as much as you'll ever see. Is a seven-man protection, three men go out in the route, right? 48 of 52, he only went with five men, Steve. Didn't keep the running back in, didn't keep the tight end in. He never even changed it up to help those guys or to even give the Bucks D-line, really, a different look. Yeah, and he abandoned the running game way too early. The Chiefs were successful running the ball. Non-Mahomes runs, there was only 12 of them over the course of the game. Only one run to Tyreek Hill. Uh, picked up, I think, five or six yards. So just not enough in-game adjustments. And let's face it, it wasn't like things were desperate for Kansas City. Right up until the end of the first half, Tampa Bay, with a minute to play in the first half, was just a modest favorite to win this game. So it wasn't like the Chiefs had to abandon their um, and any game plan adjustment based upon being down big because they weren't until the second half. Okay, so a couple of different things here. You know, look, I know there's not an actual number you can give me for this, Steve, but I, I don't know if they do scenarios uh, or whatever, a simulator, but how much variance do you think there is to that outcome? Like, if they play that game 100 times, do you watch it now and think that that happens a lot, or do you think that that was just a uh, a very rare occurrence? It's a great question. So there are really two scenarios. We have the scenario, the two teams play again a week from today, all right? And then you have the scenario, we go back to our time machine and we just replay the game. If we do our time machine, I think Tampa Bay wins three quarters of the time. 
I think Tampa Bay dominated the game. And with the game plans that the teams had going in to last Sunday, Tampa Bay was very likely to win. Obviously, they got unlucky with the penalties that were called. But even with that, Tampa Bay should have been able to win the game. Now, if we fast forward and we let Kansas City make adjustments for what happened, then we have a different conversation. And I think we get back to maybe it's 50-50 if they play it again two weeks from today. Interesting. All right. Um because that way they could say, "Look, we can't, we can't do this. That didn't work." Like, if it was, uh, if this was the NBA, it was a best of three series or something. Okay, the last thing I have to ask you about, in particular, is the Andy Reid timeout at the end of the first half. All of them, all the Andy Reid timeouts at the end of the first half, but in particular, Steve, before the third and two. I mean. That was super aggressive, especially, by the way, with the way Tampa had been running the ball pretty effectively. I want to get your thoughts because usually you say, what do you think the other team wants you to do? Your thoughts on Andy Reid calling that timeout specifically before the third and two. Horrendous. And let me be fair. I'm not past posting here. I tweeted after the second timeout, what are they doing? This is a a horrendous timeout. Tampa Bay is clearly the favorite the rest of the half. So it's prices. So Tampa has the ball third and two. They're right at like their own 38. If I had to set a line on the half, yes, the most likely outcome is they're going to probably tie. All right. Um, But who's favored? Tampa's clearly favored. They're going to make that first down half the time. We'll do very simple math. I'll use 50%. Okay. If Tampa Bay makes the first down, they're on about their 45 on average. If Tampa Bay fails, they punt, and now Kansas City's on about their 25. So Tampa Bay has about a 20-yard advantage, both teams 50-50 to have the ball. That's an enormous advantage, and both teams would have one timeout left at that point. So there's it's not even close. Okay, I like aggression. I always talk about I like teams being more aggressive. Well, I like them to be aggressive on offense. Not being aggressive on defense. Basically, what happened is they forced Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay made a mistake. Tampa Bay should have been aggressive trying to score there. But it's close. It's real close. They only had one timeout. And they said, you know what? We do have the lead. We'll be conservative. Slight mistake. No biggie. It's like a, a, it's like a chess game where one team, like White is winning. And White says, you know what? I'm up a pawn. I'm going to be a little conservative here instead of be playing the more aggressive move. I'm okay with that. But now, given Black plays a move that basically forces me, all right, now I'm, I have to be aggressive here um, or I'm going to be losing. So they forced Tampa Bay to make the right decision to be aggressive. Just horrendous all the way. I would say after that timeout, if you ask me, who do I want the rest of the half? It's pick them. I say Tampa Bay is about minus 160 at that point. You cannot call a timeout there. Yeah, and here's the thing too, right? Tampa was not in a hurry to score, so they weren't going to score. They were just running out the clock. And then people complain about the officiating, which I thought there were a couple calls I didn't love. But those last two PIs in the first half, they don't happen unless Andy Reid calls that timeout. He put them in position to get those penalties. Yeah, and you're not playing against some junior varsity quarterback here. I mean, you're playing against Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. It's almost like they they completely disrespected Brady. It was like Mason Rudolph was their opponent by calling that timeout. It's third and two. 
You know, it's like if I'm on the defense, Ross, I'm like, wait a minute, we're going to go into half and now you're going to put me in this position where I got to stop these guys. Are you kidding? By the way, Steve, what did you think of the officiating as a guy that I think, you know, obviously we don't track that as an official bet here, but you like the over in terms of, I mean, you like the under in terms of penalties. Uh, That first half was about as aggressively called in terms of throwing the flag as I can remember. I mean, you know, I, I said that the Chiefs shouldn't have put the officials in that position a few times. But they weren't letting them play as much as I thought they would. Yeah, let me caveat this. Even if the penalties had been called down the middle, Tampa Bay still would have won. So this didn't impact – it didn't impact who won the game. But I sure hope there's never any, like, congressional inquiry about a game fixing that the refereeing crew was in on because they put this tape in. Uh, it's pretty uh, one-sided. Let's put it that way, that this was fairly egregious – the way that as it just turned out by randomness, the calls so greatly favored Tampa Bay. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to go back and watch the uh, watch the tape, obviously, watch the video. I mean, I the, the clear thing was they weren't letting them play as much as I would have liked. At least they weren't letting the Chiefs. But I didn't see, you know, I don't go back and watch the All-22 to see if they were letting the, letting the Bucks play, but not letting the uh the Chiefs play that's really the question then as for the spread Steve um the spread was three and over at DraftKings and how about this I was pretty happy about this because I did a show for DraftKings Steve like an hour before the game I took the under for one unit when it was 56 and a half it was 55 and a half by game time and I was really surprised by that, Steve. I would have thought DraftKings over the weekend. Here comes all these people betting over, over, over. I talked with one person that said the reason why it came down is because sharp money, uh, respected betters were the ones that were taking the under at that point, even though a lot of you know the public was still hammering the over over at DraftKings. Yeah, and if you look at the overall uh, marketplace, the sharp marketplace, they would have put you on two winners. And why do I say that? Because all week long, the sharpest books were dealing the lowest on the side. There were three and a halves out there at some of the square ball books, but it was three at the sharp books. And in fact, you could get Kansas City minus three at reduced VIG um, at the sharper books. And that came all the way down where you could get Kansas City minus three, like lay a dollar five at the sharp books. So clearly they were shading lower than the market on Kansas city. And the same with the total, the square books had 56 at post, the sharp books came all the way down to 55. And that's because their most respected betters did go under despite perfect weather in this game. There'd been some concern of rain. Think about if we would have gotten some rain in this forecast, this total would have been just one of the best unders of the year. So for people, look, we have a lot of listeners. We get new listeners We love them. For people that don't know the difference between a sharp book and a square ball book, I don't have ever, I've heard square, I don't have heard square ball. Can you explain, can you define those two, please? Yeah, so a sharp book would be a book like Pinnacle Sports 
that deals reduced VIG on all their games. So you only in football, you only have to lay minus 105 in each direction. So um, they'll cater to everyone. You can beat, the, beat, beat them out of a million dollars or a billion dollars, and they'll keep uh, dealing to you as a customer. Um, a square book would be like William Hill, who will cut off winners, no longer accept the action from them. Their business model is just to accept bets from players that aren't going to win long term, similar to a uh, casino that just doesn't want any good blackjack players in their establishment. If you show that you know what you're doing, they don't want you as a customer. So because of that, their lines oftentimes are shaded a little bit higher on the side in total than anywhere else. Because frankly, who's going to be able to bet the the dog or the under? They've all been barred, all the sharp players that want to play those against them. And how... And, and that's just legal, Steve, because even though Nevada and these other states are legalized sports betting, these are private establishments that can determine who they have as customers? Yes. You're not allowed to discriminate in terms of race, religion, height, weight, etc. But you can certainly discriminate in terms of someone who has a better acumen at the game and an ability to beat the game. You know, it's interesting, Ross. I think the same holds true in other forms of business. If um, Joey Chestnut walks into your buffet, I believe you have the right to uh, not serve to him. What? Uh, how many are you banned from? Um, I have several books that I'm restricted. So, like, for instance, Station Casinos has told me, you know, Fez, we like you. We'll still let you bet. But you can only bet one time per day. You got to come to the window. Can't bet on the app. And you got to put all your bets in all at once because they don't want me just sitting around picking their pockets as lines move and their injury reports and things like that. But um, William Hill and Golden Nugget are two of the books in town that said, just can't do it, Fez. Can't can't let you bet. Um, a couple other books have said, you know, you can bet, but you can't bet on our apps. So you got to come there in person, them knowing like Treasure Island knew, I'm not going to drive down there just to bet, you know, make a bet against them. So, and it's kind of, it is, there is a difference between, Blackjack, though, and sports, because when you think about it, I got a lot of friends, Ross. You know what? And I don't hold I don't hold anything against William Hill, them not letting me bet. You know what? I'm perfectly happy just, you know, texting every one of my friends about outstanding bets to make against William Hill. And so I still send customers into them to show there's no hard feelings. <laughs> that is funny, man. That's awesome. Okay. So um Lots of props, right? And a lot of the ones that I liked, and we'll talk more about the player props tomorrow with Joe Dolan on the Fantasy Feast podcast, but a lot of the ones over Cam Bray, under Sammy Watkins, under Mahomes passing yards, over Mahomes rushing yards, a lot of them came through. I'm not going to go through every prop because there's literally a zillion but how did you do on props, Steve? Give us sort of your uh, your prop breakdown. Well, I went nine and one for the props I, and bets I gave my clients this year, which is an aberration, but I've always done well with props. And I think that this was an example where we talked about the O-line issues and a lot of my props centered around that. So I had Tampa Bay defense sacks over one and a half, game sacks over three and a half. Mahomes, I thought he'd be running for his life over 19 and a half, then over 22 and a half. You know, all those basically were keyed upon how I thought the, the game would play out there. 
Um, you know, some interesting phenomenons. There's a, a short touchdown in this game. I always love that under one and a half for the distance of the shortest touchdown in a game that's supposed to be high scoring. Got a little lucky here because this game wasn't high scoring there. Um, you nailed it. There were some props like break that landed right on the number, three catches, 26 yards. So if you shopped, there was a two and a half on break. There was a three and a half on break. So you win as long as you have a lot of outs in that case. You know, one of the most interesting props that I want on, I bet Pringle, Pringle, under one and a half catches. First play of the game, offensive for Kansas City. He catches a pass for three yards, and then the Pringles get put into the tennis ball can and screwed shut, never to be played with again. That is amazing. Yeah, I mean, I – I couldn't believe the line at DraftKings was three and a half for Sammy Watkins. I just thought that's asking a lot for a guy. Although Antonio Brown went over, and I wasn't expecting that either. By the way, how about this, Steve? Uh, at DraftKings this week for Sunday night's game, I'm going to post about this on social media, at Ross Tucker NFL. They have a hammer the over promo for uh, L.A. and Denver Sunday night. Every time a thousand players bet the over, the the line drops by a point. It's down to like it's already down to like thirty seven points or something. <laughs> the over under or whatever. So make sure you use the code Ross when you hammer the over for L.A. and Denver on the DraftKings sportsbook. Please use the code Ross. Hammer the over. Love it. Um. All right. Uh. So okay. So you did well on your props. Love that. Uh, anything else from the game itself, Steve? We went over the props. Uh, total, we both leaned Tampa. I'm so I, mean, I wish I obviously I wish I took Tampa now. Um, anything else on the game or the spread, total props, our bets, anything? Well, I bet Tampa to punt first. I bet Tampa to cover the first quarter, and I bet Tampa to start with the ball. And this was all based upon. Every team in the NFL defers when they win the coin toss. Except Tampa, week 16 and 17, when they won the toss, they took the ball. That's the last two times they won the toss. They've lost the toss every playoff game. So I made all those bets in anticipation. It was more likely Tampa would start with the ball. But we'll never know what Tampa would have done because Kansas City, fortunately, did win the coin toss. They deferred as we knew they would. So Tampa did indeed start with the ball. So that was an advantage play uh, I want to give one more note on these props. Accolades to Tom Brady, because Brady is the king at taking what the defense gives him. Kansas City, you mentioned, didn't adjust. Brady did. So Kansas City's defense, it's good at taking away wide receivers, especially the wide receivers split out wide. So you look what happened. Four wide receivers for Tampa Bay. In terms of yardage, none of them, none of them went over their totals. You mentioned that Antonio Brown did get five catches but he only got around 25 yards. Evans and Godwin, only one and two catches. Little Scotty Miller, he ran the ball once. May as well have just been on the bench the rest of the game. So all five, four wide receivers go under for Tampa because Tom Brady, the master at, at taking advantage of what you give him and his tight ends and his running back four nets get a big bulk of the offense. So as people know, Steve, all you have to do is sign up at DraftKings using the code Ross or take advantage of any of the other sponsors on the sponsor page over at RossTucker.com. Send it to me, Ross at RossTucker.com, even if you just get 100 flowers 
for your wife for Valentine's Day or a story from myfrontpagestory.com. If you go to 100flowers.com, use the code football. That's the key. You can ask Steve any question you want or me. We got a question today, Steve. This comes to us from Todd. I uh, had two questions, one for me, one for you. His question about uh, for me was, why don't more players demand a trade? Given how short their careers are, why would player X want to waste three or five of the years in a player in a bad position? He mentioned Hollywood Brown, the Ravens receiver, as an example of, hey, it's your only career, your only shot. Why not go somewhere where they throw the ball more? And I would just say, Todd, to answer your question, I think that's – I think we're getting closer to there. I think we're getting close to the point where guys are going to start – I saw Orlando Brown, not Hollywood Brown from the Ravens, want to trade because he wants to be a left tackle. You know, even Russell Wilson came out today. We'll talk about this tomorrow on the Ross Tucker football podcast and said he wants to have more of a say in what the Seahawks do. He's heard the Seahawks are getting calls about him. Things are getting interesting in terms of players, uh, player empowerment, I guess, as you would say. The question for you, though, Steve, he said – Heard a lot about round-robin wagers as of late. Steve, do the books offer any beneficial odds by betting a round-robin wager versus each individual leg, or do they make you pay extra for the convenience of it? Any other tidbits on pluses, minuses of round-robins? I'd love to hear. Thanks from Todd. He posted a review of the show, which is another way you can ask questions, Steve. Just review the show. What do you got, Steve? All right, so round robin parlays, essentially, let's say you like five different games, Ross. Let's say you like eight different games, and you want to parlay them all in two- and three-team parlays. Well, you could mechanically go up and say, I want team one, two, three in a three-teamer, one, two, four in a three-teamer, one, two, five in a three-teamer, and what, you got the total number of combinations being eight factorial divided by three factorial, five factorial. That's like 40 combinations. I probably did the math wrong. Forget the math. There's too many combinations. Or you can just walk up and say, I want an eight-team round-robin parlay by twos and threes. You give the eight teams, and you get it all in one ticket. So instead of doing it 40 times, you can do it in one time. So it's ex- it expedites the whole process and basically gives you every combination, and you can do it by twos, by threes, by fours, and fives. So what the better needs to know, one, there's no reason to ever do this except for if you have correlations, which would be rare, or if you're circumventing limits. Let me talk about that circumventing of the limits. That's where I do my round robin parlays. Two, don't round robin by more than three teams. Do round robins by fours and and five. Doing fours and fives is bad. The math is against you. So you want to round robin by twos and threes. I can tell you that the, one of the most successful college basketball syndicates out there has been doing this. So what they do is they identify like eight games that are off in terms of the totals. And they can get a lot more down saying, I want to do a round robin parlay. I want to play North Carolina Charlotte over 133. I want to play Duke over 149. And so they wheel every one of these um, plays into parlays. And if you add down the net amount you have on each game, well, if you're betting $200 on every combination, the ticket could be like $5,600. And it's a great way to circumvent the limits and get a whole lot down with these round robin parlay tickets. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that much about that. Uh always love when people ask you questions. Next week, Steve. Big week. It's our season recap. 
We need to talk about what we learned this year about home field advantage, what we learned this year moving forward in terms of two-point conversions, what it means for the key numbers, scoring. We may take our first look at Super Bowl futures for next year. It's going to be absolutely awesome next week. Listen, these off-season shows, some of my favorites, we've got some great guests lined up, and we're already going to dive into next year, next week, here on the Even Money Podcast. Other than that, good luck, everybody. Hope you guys win some money. Thanks for listening to the Even Money Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, the Fantasy Feast, Business of Sports, and the College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.